the difference is just slowing down enough to pay attention to what's in your space. Like, what do you actually have? I wonder how much of our running to the store to pick something up is just because we don't know where it is in our house. Consumerism. The preoccupation of society with the acquisition of consumer goods. This week, we're talking with Sarah Sullivan about consumerism. Sarah has a passion to make every breath, every dollar, and every action have purpose and to exist intentionally. She's a personal inspiration to Elaine and I both. So before you go out and swipe that credit card, take a second, pause, maybe listen to this episode, because maybe it'll just change what you think you need after all. This is The Reckless Pursuit, a podcast crafted and created to dive deep into what it looks like to be a follower of Christ in a modern day world. We span topics across the board to seek out truth and to gain a deeper understanding of one another, to find common ground and answers to life's hardest questions. We all have a story and a struggle, a calling and a conviction. Together, let's take a hard look at ourselves and effort to view what others see so we can be the best reflection of Christ possible. I'm Cody. And I'm Elaine. Now, let's get reckless. Hey everyone, welcome to The Reckless Pursuit. This is episode 40, and today Elaine and I are sitting here with a familiar voice and a not-so-familiar voice. We have Robert Sullivan back in here, but today we're actually more so talking to his wife, Sarah, um, if you listen to episode 10 on questioning faith, you will probably know Robert will most definitely be sharing his insight and his jokes, which is completely okay. But we are talking today mostly to Sarah because she is honestly um, one of the biggest influences in my Lane's life for uh, minimizing our con- like what would be consumption mm-hmm. of things and i think it's cool like if you go to their house um so much of like their bowls and their plates and their cups they made themselves uh like she does pottery um when it comes to like even things like paper towels things like that they use like real nice cloth towels like you're at a fancy restaurant we're not that fancy (laughs) we're not that fancy yet yet we're gonna work to get there Mm -hmm. but we're gonna talk a little bit about um essentialism I have a book here by uh, Greg McCown, and uh, it's called Essentialism. It was a great book. I think all of us in the room have read it. Um, supposedly, we've all read it. And if you want to read it, links to that are in, going to be in the show notes. And if you buy it through a link, hey, we might actually get a little bit of money from that too. So just saying, if you're going to buy the book and if you like the idea of it, Amazon Affiliates is a thing. But we're going to get right into this. I'm going to open this up by saying, well, hello. Thank you for being here, first hello. of all. <laughs> Um, and if y'all want to just take a second, Sarah, if you want to just take a second and tell us a little bit about you, and then we're going to dive into talking about essentialism, talking about, since Black Friday's coming up, talking about consumerism and all that good stuff. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for inviting us to come chat with you this evening. Um, I'm excited. This is my first podcast interview. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. (laughs) It's okay. It's it's ours too. (laughs) (laughs) Um... A little bit about me. Uh, You mentioned that I do pottery. I've been doing that for about a year now. Mm -hmm. Um, Facebook has been reminding me that a year ago I was posting pictures of the very first tumblers and bowls that I ever made. That's exciting. It's been really interesting to see the progression of what I made then compared to what I make now. What else? I 
really enjoy making things with my hands. So I think that's part of my inspiration for all of the handmade things in our home is I just enjoy that. And I find it to be um, much more meaningful than purchasing things unless oh, yeah. it's something that someone that I know has made. Yeah. So uh, how, how has your pottery progressed from those first <laughs> photos? <laughs> well, I think when I first started making, uh, I have some pictures of tumblers or what came up most recently, and they were huge. Like, I didn't like the pattern that they had or mm -hmm. template that they had in the studio where I do my stuff. Um, it was way too small, so I made my own, oh, and wow. I basically just, like, doubled <laughs> the template that they had so these tumblers are like massive like if you try to hold it with one hand and it's full of water it like makes your wrist hurt because oh, wow. it's so heavy <laughs> and so now they're a little more manageable mm -hmm. to hold in your hand and i'm actually learning how to put handles on things and get a handle on it's it. fun <laughs> i'm trying <laughs> so um tell us a little bit about what got you involved in being i guess not necessarily just more environmentally friendly but being more um, meaningful with what you use and uh, tell us a little bit about your heart on that. So I actually really like the word intentional um, and I guess meaningful is right along those same lines but I for years now have had this dream and this passion that everything that I do has purpose. Yeah. Um, I want every breath that I breathe, every word I speak every action, every dollar that I spend to go towards something to make the world a better place or to make somebody's life better. And um, I don't know actually when that started. I grew up reading missionary biographies. My parents are missionaries, so we talked about missions all the time and right. just had a constant awareness that the normal American household or life is not the case for a lot of the world. Um, and so just wanting to be really purposeful in every decision that I make to help make a difference for anyone else in the world. Um, and I think I've also always been a saver or I've always wanted to spend my money on specific things. Mm -hmm. So like I'll have a goal and I'm like, well, instead of spending this money on <coughs> you know, fast food or coffee or even like clothes or shoes. I'm like, right. I'm just going to save this so that I can move to India for six weeks mm -hmm. and live on whatever money I've saved up. Oh, wow. Where um, all have you been? Where all have I been? Yeah. Um, that's a long story. <laughs> uh, uh, when I was 12, my family moved to Malaysia. We were there for a year and a half. Um, we lived in Dallas before then, which... Not Malaysia. No, it's not Malaysia. <laughs> no, um, but it's its own place. Right. Um, then in college, I went to India um, several times. Worked at some hospitals there, um, and then where else? We went to Honduras. Yeah. For like a month, as newlyweds, or like after we had been married for like a year, worked as house house parents at an orphanage down there. Oh wow. Um. And then, I mean, I've visited other places right. too, but those are the most significant periods of time. So something interesting you kind of brought up, and it's kind of something I wanted to touch on. You had talked about how things were just different there. And so we have the American standard, and America is 
um, quick to buy something, to replace something that's not broken. We're constantly consuming things, right? Uh, so what are like some of the stark differences that kind of pop out to you from maybe like us versus other cultures that you've experienced? Probably one of the big things that stands out to me is just the amount of things that we tend to own or collect here in the U.S. Um, and that it, like, you never seem to be satisfied. There's always yeah. this, like, longing or desire for, oh, but, like, I have this, but a new one just came out. And, right. and I don't have that one, so I need to go get it. Um, and I kind of feel like I don't really understand that mindset. So I have kind of a hard time speaking to it because I'm like, this is something that I observe, but I've never felt that way before. Right. And so it's just interesting for me to be like, huh, like, why is that? Like, I, like, I see all of this marketing and these voices that are always saying, hey, you need the next thing. You need the next newest thing. And marketing stuff is still in other cultures, but I think they don't pay as much attention to the media as we do. Right. Um, and they don't have, well, I guess some people might, but in general, the people that I was interacting with didn't have the resources to go buy all these new things. Right, um, so. Our, our having of resources begets our wasting of resources, basically. It's just, we take it for granted, maybe. Yeah. What about you, Robert? What's kind of your stance on some of that? And what do you think maybe mm. leads to some of that in America? Well, whenever I look at like other countries and things like that, I see a lot of people seem more content with what they have than we do here. Like, like you guys were saying, here we seem to chase the next shiny thing. And we'll get something and play with it for a week or use it. And then we're like, well, what's what's next? There's a newer, next yeah. great model that we can get. So just kind of along the lines of what you guys were just saying. Yeah, well, I think even, what was it? Apple was in the news what, last year for that because like they're planning their obsoleteness of their phones by yeah. causing them to run slower and everything. Yeah. I mean, come on, so we know. Crazy. I'm, I'm surprised <laughs> Apple's the one that got in trouble for it because it's been going on since technology's been a thing pretty much. Yeah, but, I'm pretty sure all of them do it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's amazing how as soon as that new update comes out, all of a sudden your phone starts running extremely mm. slow, you know? And uh, it's almost... Um, Elaine, you go ahead and talk a little bit about because we're you know Black Friday's. Well, I guess as, if you're listening to this episode, Black Friday just passed, and so you uh, you've done all your shopping, and now we're making you feel bad for it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but Black Friday's an interesting uh, quote unquote holiday because it's literally like statistically like stores like feed off of it. Like people get trampled to death. Like, just insane. I mean, I actually love going Black Friday shopping, but just to watch people. Hypocrite. Like I No, I, I seriously, I love going and just watching people. I don't even like the shopping. I just mm -hmm. like watching people and drinking coffee at 4 a.m. Yeah. when stores That's are... That's why I like it. Yeah, I but, hardly ever the buy anything. <laughs> the coffee, yeah. You know, just like, coffee? Okay, I'll get up at 4 yeah. I suppose. Yep. <laughs> um, but what was some of the statistics you were talking about, Elaine? Um, to me? Well, I was actually reading some articles um, from different websites, and they were saying how, like, a lot of companies um, are completely in debt, like, all year, up until Black Friday, and from Black Friday all the way to Christmas, they immediately make up everything that they were in debt, like, the previous year. Like, that's not a great economically based decision to make, because um, it actually, like, downplays the products it downplays um what well, makes them worth less it makes yeah. all of our stuff worth 
less. And so it's just, it leads to more consumption, more use of resources Mm -hmm. and ultimately more waste. Yeah. And so like people are constantly buying, 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 buying things they don't need, things they don't even want. They're just buying Mm -hmm. it because everyone else has it, especially with technology. Everyone wants Mm -hmm. the newest iPhone and the newest just gadgets, I guess. Um, But like some of the articles I was reading was saying, that um, it actually is really bad for our economy to make it all up in the one to two weeks um, because, like, they have to lower their prices mm. just to make up, just to go back up to what they were trying to achieve. Right. And that's not even getting into the uh-uh. account of all of the uh, the negative um, impact it has on other countries and stuff like that for yeah. the labor laws and just the abuse that other countries have to go through to make up for our selfish gain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, do you have any opinions on Black Friday, Sarah? Uh, hmm. So, I don't enjoy shopping. The only time I have ever enjoyed shopping is at a farmer's market or at an open-air market in a developing country. Mm -hmm. Those are the only times that I enjoy shopping Mm -hmm. or if I'm shopping for art. Amazon store because that feels like a treasure hunt and I get mm-hmm. paid for it. When I am shopping for our store, I feel like I'm finding treasures in places where people that want them won't look for them. Mm-hmm. Right. Because a lot of times we look at um, clearance aisles or, you know, clearance stores where like things stores. are like sure. overstock or things that are, are not wanted anymore mm-hmm. by that right. store where it is or by another store that sold it to that store. And so I feel like I'm taking that that from that place and making it available for someone that actually wants it and isn't able to go to that place mm-hmm. and find it. Well, and I like you said that because, jokes aside, like, there's nothing wrong with consumption. There's something wrong with over-consumption. Yeah. You know, I'm, a, I'm reasonably <laughs> particular about, like, my health and about my fitness. And, um, you know, like, obesity runs in my family really strong, and that's something I've always tried to be very careful of. But in the summer, I cook corn dogs for people. Like, you know, I run, we run a, uh, Elaine and I run a concessionaire and we cook like fair food, junk food. And, you know, it's kind of like ironic. People ask, oh, you probably eat this all the time. Like, no, no, I don't. There's nothing wrong with eating those things. It's just like, if that's your lifestyle, that's all you're eating, then okay, yeah, like that's at some point is something wrong. And that's kind of what you're saying there too is, you know, there's nothing wrong with, buying something it's whenever you're buying it just to try to fill this void maybe yeah so what leads to that void like why do we feel like we need to buy things so much in our culture you think i wonder if part of it is boredom oh yeah Mm -hmm. um and just this need to constantly be entertained and constantly um have something new not wanting to just pick up something that you've already had and interact with that item or that game or whatever it is. Cause you, Oh, that's, I already know what that is. It's not new. It's not, there's no uh, like curiosity about, Oh, how does this work? What is it? What are all the features? That type of thing. Um, So I think that may be part of it. I think part of it, I've heard a lot of, I don't know if I've really experienced this much, but I've heard people talk about just like the thrill of the buy, like purchasing something and it like has an addictive factor. Um, 
So I think that probably plays into stuff because I've seen it multiple places uh, referenced to. Well, I think that can go two different ways too. Some people get that from like finding a good deal. It's like, well, I can't pass up a good deal. Mm -hmm. It's you don't need like uh, 20 bags of charcoal, but they're on sale because it's out of season. You know, it's like you have to buy it because you might use it. Uh, And then there's the other like side. It's like, well, if I don't use it, then I'll just sell it later or something. It's just like that. You get addicted to having that. I think it does come back to boredom a lot. You know, like uh, we are a culture that is addicted to addiction in a weird way. Like, you know, we're constantly on our phones. We're constantly having to do something we can't. And this goes back to, um, and we can get into this a little bit, but kind of what you and I were talking about in the last episode, Elaine, of just being mindful of your surroundings and taking time to be still and, we don't know how to do that as a culture. Uh, all we know is how to um, constantly be going. We have to feel like we constantly have to be revved up and uh, our minds have to constantly be on to something else to distract us. And that's what it comes down to is distraction. We just don't know what rest is. And so I think a lot of that plays into that for sure. Uh, and so I know a lot of people would take this as like, what are you trying to say? Be minimalist. What? Where is the line here? How do you be aware of your level of consumption and what does that look like um with like the kind of the world we live in here in you know like developed countries american dream type reality like what does that look like i think it can look different for everybody um i think a lot of the difference is just slowing down enough to pay attention to what's in your space yeah uh like what do you actually have um I wonder how much of our running to the store to pick something up is just because we don't know where it is in our house. Like we already have it and we're just like, eh, I don't want to search for it. I know exactly where it is at Walmart. So I'll just go find it <laughs> and buy it. You do that all the time. <laughs> Whenever we go grocery shopping. You're I like, I'm just I was good at this. this. Okay. Like, I I'm said I was going to talk so about it. I don't know if we have it, but I'm just going to go ahead and get another one. We talk about things so I can learn. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, something that I read um, was that consumerism is like the opposite of mindfulness Mm -hmm. because you're not focusing on the present. You're not focusing on the now. You're always wanting to buy that next thing. Mm -hmm. And you're not, kind of like you said, you're not just okay with being bored. Like you're not just okay, like, you know, understanding how you feel about the present time, your experience, your circumstances, because you're just trying to... I don't just find something to do with your time Mm -hmm. and you're not like introspective. And, um, I just thought that was like very, uh, interesting. So let's take a second and talk like we can kind of go toward the mindfulness side of things a little bit here, but, um, you are a yoga teacher correct? and you also teach mindfulness practices as well, right? A little Uh, to to some extent, because a lot of that's in yoga, right? Yes. Um, how long have you been teaching yoga? I've been teaching yoga for uh, almost seven years. So I know yoga can be a weird tab. I don't know. I really don't understand this, but I know yoga can be a taboo uh, subject in Christian circles. Uh, let's just kind of touch on that first before we do this. <laughs> Why is it such just a taboo? touch on it. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> you can dig at it. You can claw Huge at it. Whatever. Topic. Why, like, I'm sure you've probably received some kind of backlash for that. Yes. Right? Why is that such a, I guess, like maybe we're millennials or something. I don't like, I know y'all are ex-millennials, whatever, but <laughs> like, I just don't get it. I don't understand the, the beef with, with it. So. Yeah. So the best understanding that I've come to about why 
a lot of the church or Christianity has a real problem with yoga is that there is a yoga is based in the same doctrine that Hinduism comes from. Okay. Um, and so when yoga was first introduced in the U S it was introduced at the same time as Hinduism. Okay. Uh, like as part of like as a whole, mm-hmm. right. um, but it's not necessarily always that way. It doesn't have to be Hinduism and yoga together, but that's how it was introduced to the U S. So a lot of people in America, when yoga was introduced in the seventies, saw yoga and his Hinduism as the exact same thing. And that was, it was very foreign right. <laughs> to our culture and just was not Christianity. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I still get a lot of, well, you know, doing those yoga poses means you're asking demons to come live in you. And I'm like, oh, actually, that's not (laughs) what I'm doing at all. (laughs) Uh, But I think that kind of ties, because I know yoga and meditation tie really close together, and I'm really big on meditation. And, uh, you know, I think, um, just like it's a personal belief of mine, is that all religions become religions because they're grasping a hold of some truth out there. You know, they may not have the whole truth, um, but, you know, they have something. And yoga, meditation, all these things are legitimate practices that God gave us to use. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a reason that they're practiced. You know, they're practicing Christianity, too. It's just our Bible doesn't talk about it in the same way. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it is an Eastern tradition. The Bible talks about meditation. We just take it into our own, like, spooky, Mm -hmm. you know. And so all these things kind of go together. So how can we use some of those things to help make us more aware of maybe not just our level of consumption, but just make us aware in general so we can even begin down this road? I think a good place to start is just with a gratitude practice, uh, which I think is a really common uh, concept in meditation Mm -hmm. as well as in yoga. Uh, And I think just being intentionally grateful for what we already have Mm -hmm. can take the edge off of that, oh, I need something new. Um, And just realizing wow, we have so many incredible uh, opportunities and things that are available here today, right now, where we are, that is enough. Like we don't need anything else. Um, And maybe there's like one or two things that you're like, yeah, that would make my life easier. But you can most of the time function really well with what you already have. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think just taking the time to be still and even just thinking of like one or two things that feel like gifts in your life and just being grateful for those and letting that feeling of gratitude um, just sit with you for a few Mm -hmm. moments, I think can help shift that mindset. That's really good. Also, one thing I've noticed is talking about like mindfulness and things like that is whenever I am surrounded by a lot of clutter and a lot of things around me, I find it really difficult to focus and be mindful and to meditate because it's always like, oh, there's this shiny object right over there. And so like kind of diving into some more of like the minimalism, like getting rid of some stuff and everything that you have has a purpose. And then it frees up a lot of space to where you're not as distracted and you can really focus on like meditation and the things that you really care about. And then the things that you have 
are things that are there that are going to help you um, fulfill your life and they have purpose and a meaning mm. instead of just, hey, this is a shiny object, I want to play with it. Yeah. Well, and I think that's what uh, Greg McCallum was talking about in essentialism so much is you don't have to try to get rid of everything that you've worked for necessarily. It's just ask yourself, does this have a purpose or is yeah. this just a thing in a place taking up space in my life? You know, it's not even, and we'll get into this in just a second, but it's not even just about things. It's about what you say yes and no to. It's about your spiritual journey. It goes so much deeper. And uh, I want to kind of get into that next. But before we hop off the um, the actual physical things, you know, uh, topic, what are some basic practical things everyday people like Elaine and I can do to lessen our consumption? Things like, you know, because the first thing that comes to my mind is like paper towels. They're so convenient, but we use up tons and tons and tons of them, and you guys just have, like, actual hand towels. It's actually really nice. It feels luxurious. It really does. Uh, and then, like, paper plates is a big one. Like, I have a personal pet peeve with paper plates because we used them so much when I was growing up, and, like, so many of them were just wasted, and it was just kind of a thing. And so, like, we pretty much use, like, actual silverware and stuff because, for one, it's we paid the money for it, so let's use it, yeah. you know? Like, we can wash the dishes, but... What are some other things that are kind of on those veins we could start with? Um, I think that's a really good start. I, funny, well, I think it's a funny story. Maybe, I don't know if other people will. But I really did not want to purchase cloth napkins. Like, I knew that I wanted cloth napkins, but I didn't want to spend the money for them. Uh -huh. um, and so I waited and waited and waited until I found them on clearance at World Market in Dallas and ended up paying like 10 cents a piece for oh, these wow. super nice like linen, beautiful cloth napkins that were actually made in India. Mm -hmm. And I love that they're made in India because mm -hmm. I love India. Um, so just little things like that type of shift, I think can help a lot. Um, using cloth napkins instead of paper napkins. Uh, what else? Composting, I think is usually an easy place to start because it doesn't require a ton of work um if you live in an apartment like we do it's a little more work because i have <laughs> to like take it to the place where it gets composted yeah. um i think that's a, a scary topic in general you start talking about composting people are like oh no i know like especially people like with my father's generation you start talking about composting they're just like oh that hippie stuff i don't know yeah. <laughs> it's just <laughs> mentality just like gone you know so i think just really get into that and like Throw them off and talk about kombucha. I love kombucha. I hate kombucha. <laughs> I, <love kombucha. laughs> I don't want any kind of something growing on my tea. I'm scared I'm to make it at home, though. I don't want to make it the wrong way and get sick, but <laughs> I like it. <laughs> it tastes like... It's a funny story, and this is completely off topic. We'll move on after this. <laughs> One time I went to my parents' house, and my mom was still asleep. And, of course, I had a house key or whatever, so I just walked in waiting on her to wake up. And they used to buy these big muffins from Sam's. Like, you know, those wholesale size muffins that are just, yeah. like, huge. And I went in there. was, like, this one leftover muffin. It was blueberry. And I got it, and I took this huge. I just bit the entire top of it off, <laughs> and I chewed it up and swallowed it. And I looked down, and I realized it wasn't blueberry. It was chocolate, and it was Ooh, covered gosh. in mold. And I just ate all of it. <laughs> <laughs> and every time I've tried kombucha, the aftertaste, that's what I oh, taste. And I'm just like, I can't do that's it. That's brutal. I cannot do the muffin, the moldy muffin taste. Ew. <laughs> that's so, crazy. Oh, I'm sorry. 
completely derailed us. That is not recommended. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't, <laughs> eat mold. don't eat moldy no. muffins. No. Penicillin is a processed antibiotic. That's not the right <laughs> yeah. post yeah. that we're talking about. <laughs> oh, so uh, how does this tie into our faith? How does uh, essentialism and uh, consumerism all tie back into our faith? So I like to take it back to what I talked about toward the beginning of our conversation about just wanting everything that I do and say and think to have purpose and to bring glory to God. Um, and so to me, it feels like if I'm running in a million different directions and just overindulging in whatever it might be, that does not feel like I am glorifying God. That doesn't feel like I'm living my life to the fullest mm -hmm. because it feels like everything that I do is really watered down at that point. Yeah. So I want to be really intentional about being able to spend my energy and my time and my um, effort on things that matter um, or things that I feel like I was created to do. Mm -hmm. Like when I'm, mm -hmm. when I'm like playing music or when like, I'm also a massage therapist. When I'm giving a massage, um, that is very life-giving to me. Um, and I think all of us, to some extent, have something that we can think of that's like, oh, yeah, that's when I can go in the zone. And mm -hmm. I'm, I just flow there. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is what I was created for. And I think that's what we're all searching for, to some extent, as well. Um, so I want to be able to have that freedom to do more of those things. And... Um, so I think that's part of it. Another thing that is a huge motivator for me is just realizing that, like, I think a lot of this stems because I'm, I'm just starting to really, like, identify and move into my creative side. Mm -hmm. Like, identify, like, I call myself an artist now. That took a huge <laughs> journey for me to get to a point where I yeah. thought of myself as an artist. But to realize that this this planet that we live on is God's artwork. Like mm -hmm. God made this. And I would feel very offended if I made something and then someone just destroyed it. Like that is not honoring to me as the artist. And I want to honor God by taking care of what he has made. Um, whether that be taking care of my body because he made my body created in his image or taking care of other people around me because they were created in mm -hmm. his image as well or taking care of this planet. And so I think that's a lot of why I love to uh, support local farmers by buying you know local produce. Mm -hmm. And I put a ton of effort into recycling, even though it's mm -hmm. not available in our apartment building and it takes a ton of work for me to recycle. Like I have to collect everything and haul it to dump in yeah. or <laughs> at the recycle place. Uh -huh. uh, it's a lot of work. Same thing with the compost. But I'm mm -hmm. like, why would I take these things that can be used for another purpose and just dump them somewhere to destroy this planet that we live on? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, uh, we were, we mentioned this in the last episode too, but you have what we're on trash mountain number three over there yeah. <laughs> and it's just like yeah. disgusting and yeah. there's hundreds of buzzards and it's just nastiness. Yeah. I always feel bad every time we draw, drive past that. Cause I'm like, how much of that is my trash? How much, <laughs> like how much did I incorporate all of that? <laughs> and then it just makes me feel bad. And I'm like, I consume too many things. <laughs> <laughs> I also think it's interesting that in Christian circles, 
we're so quick to bash environmental practices. And that's an interesting thing to me because literally, like, our, like, command was to go and be good stewards of the earth and to take care of the earth. Like, that's what we were told to go and do, like, if you're going back to Genesis. But, like, I hear it so much and... You know, I, I maybe even have been guilty of it too, but looking back, it's like, oh, well, God created the earth to function the way we want it. Well, yeah, but I don't know that it was created originally to pump the kind of crap that we, like, we, we abuse the system really bad yeah. now. You have anything you want to add to that? Like, why is it Christian circles look so weird on environmental <laughs> practices? It is very frustrating to me. And I, and I don't know if it's all Christian circles or if it's just the sure. church in the South. Because yeah, I feel like there's a really strange strain of culture in the Bible Belt that says, oh, we can do whatever we want by not taking care of our bodies and not taking care of the planet because Jesus already died for us. Under the so, blood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just going to claim that I'm healed even though I'm eating garbage every day. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to yeah. ignore the fact that I'm contributing to the problem and just... I, it, I don't think it's a healthy mentality. Um, and I don't think it's a bad intention. I just think it's a misunderstanding. Yeah. So a couple more things, and we may have put the cart before the horse here talking about faith first, but uh, how does consumerism and finances go together? And how does that play? And this may be something even, Robert, <laughs> I'd like to hear from you on. Okay. Um, hmm. I guess kind of thinking about it, like from a financial side, whenever you're constantly buying things and stuff like that, um, whether it's consumer goods that are used, like paper towels and stuff like that, or just buying the next shiny, fancy thing, um, whenever you're constantly buying stuff, it gives you less money to really do the things that you love and the things that you enjoy. And also the quality of the goods that you can buy goes down as well because you're buying so many things you can't buy as good a quality and so it, you end up having to buy more because you bought cheap quality so it breaks and all that cycle. fun stuff and so <laughs> like financially you end up having to spend more money in the long run yeah i i would echo everything that you just said um and i think i mentioned earlier that i have had this mindset of i i have always been fascinated with travel Mm-hmm. And that's been a huge priority in my life, uh, whether it be for mission or just for adventure. I love to travel. And when I, let's see, I think my first memory of doing this is when I was like 10 years old. I went up to my bedroom and I like emptied out all of my drawers and all of my shelves and everything into this pile on the floor. And I went through everything and got rid of like half of it. Yeah, I, th- I think I gave all of it to my this girl that lived in the house next door to us, she was a couple years younger than me and she thought it was amazing. She's like, yeah, you've given me all these things. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's the best. But I've always had this mindset of if I have too much stuff, I can't go on adventures. <laughs> like mm-hmm. this stuff holds me down um, or keeps me back or um, somehow hinders my ability to go on adventures and travel. Um, I've been fascinated with the concept of living out of a backpack and just being able to travel and explore and see different places and meet people and serve and interact with people and cultures and environments. Um, and I think 
having less material things Mm -hmm. frees up more finances to be able to do that. Um, And I think my mindset now as an adult, obviously is different than it was when I was 10, but now I see that it's not only the, the cost of purchasing all these things, but the cost of maintaining them and cleaning them Mm -hmm. and like renting space for all of the stuff to be in. Right. (laughs) Um, Because storage units. Yeah. Yeah. Storage units or a bigger house or whatever that looks like. Um, Get such a good deal on that charcoal from earlier. You have to rent a storage unit to (laughs) store it. Hey, I take offense to that because we actually have a storage unit right now that we have. (laughs) We did too. It's actually full of furniture. It's full of furniture that we probably are going to either use or sell really soon. So, but (laughs) (laughs) it's all restaurant furniture, but still. Uh, Yeah, ours is our bike garage. But we got out of a dumpster, so technically, technically, Mm -hmm. hey, because they were going to they were going to destroy it all, but (laughs) but we got out of the dumpster. So awesome. Yeah, I mean, we have a storage unit, but that's mostly because I don't want to park my bicycle in the garage, like in the. Parking Public deck. parking deck, yeah. right in yeah. downtown. Little that makes Rock. sense, though. So, <laughs> so the last question I had on all of this was: How does consuming consumerism play into our mental health, and and not necessarily like things, but like how do we consume mentally, and how can we step back from that and evaluate what we've mentally consumed? Uh, I know um, in the Essentialism book, there's a whole chapter on learning to say no i know that was a huge problem for me is learning what to say yes to and what to say no to because we're such a yes culture everything is yes i'll do it i'll do it i'll do it and we end up full of so much regret because we've overcommitted and like it's okay to say no just because you need time to sit and that was like revolutionary to me it's like oh wow you mean i can not be doing something (laughs) you know like yeah i had to like it seems dumb when you talk about it but we do that all the time do you have anything you want to add to that I think that's the biggest struggle for me. Um, I am very intrigued by new ideas. And so any new opportunity, my initial gut reaction is, Mm -hmm. oh, that sounds fun. Of course I'll try that. (laughs) (laughs) And then I end up completely overbooked and overcommitted and just like burn myself out. One of the lessons I've been learning recently is being faithful in the things that I've already committed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if it's not new and exciting and super, you know, yay, I get to do this. I've been doing it every day for three years and I get to keep going and do it again. <laughs> yay. <laughs> but there's this other new shiny thing that looks mm-hmm. so yeah. much more fun. Yeah. Um, but just learning that faithfulness and being uh, committed to something and honoring that commitment. Yeah. Whether it be a job or like a volunteer commitment or something like that. And one of the things I, I have a life coach that's working with me on refining my personal vision statement. Like that's the project we're working on right now is figuring out, okay, what are the things or what are the like values and interests that I have that I can filter things through. So when a new opportunity comes up, if it doesn't meet these specific criteria, I know, oh, that's not actually the best fit for me. Mm-hmm. It may be a good fit, but if it's not the best fit, then I don't want to put my time there and I don't want to put my energy there. Yeah. And I'm 
still in the very beginning of this learning <laughs> process. Um, but I'm really excited to see where it takes me, like to figure out how to to set those parameters, just sitting down and thinking, okay, what are things that you've done in the past that were the moments that you felt the most alive or that you felt, wow, this is like what I was created for. Mm -hmm. Um, or that you feel had the biggest impact on your community. That is something that you, um, do that brings you life as well. So it's life giving for you as well as life giving for whoever is impacted by it. Yeah. And I think it kind of goes back to, I think I've actually heard uh, all three of the other people, not me personally, because obviously I'm really bad at this, but everyone else in the room has kind of echoed this. Is sometimes you just gotta scoop all the, the the junk up and sit in the middle of it and go, "Wow, mm -hmm. like this is really distracting." And like it's that that even with your thoughts, with your emotions, yeah. with your faith, with your things, with your finances, all of those things, you kind of have to try to pull them all to the front sit in the room full of your junk and realize, well, I have no room to move right here, you know. Or yeah. even room to sit and think and, yeah. like, actually, mm -hmm. like, take a hold of the situation you're in. Oh, yeah, because the air is stale. Everything around mm -hmm. is just sucking up it's resources space. It's just annoying. Yeah. I'm super fascinated with, like, personality types and that type of thing. And it's been really interesting to me to research and study about how the different personality types or different people interact with um, new opportunities or new items or that type of thing. I just think it's really, really interesting to think that not everyone approaches this from the same perspective and that there are lots of other perspectives that see yeah. it differently. Yeah. So. Have you done any research on the Enneagram? Yes. We just Do you now... know what your type is? Oh, so gosh. we took the test and then I think you got I've two. Typed, I've typed one wing two numerous okay, times. That. And that's, I think that's what I got. Or and I was you typed two wing one. Yeah. Okay. I can what, see that. What was I again? You're a five. Okay. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I've also typed out as a, either a four or a five. Which one, which one is which? Four is, four is like the one, like authority doesn't matter. Like. They're above authority, all that. Four is like artsy. the hopeless romantic artist. Yeah. And then what yeah. is five? Five is like the researcher. I don't remember. I've makes their out. own decisions. But I think I've also typed everything out. I think like I've crazy. also typed out as a five before on a different test. Okay. And so I know you're not supposed to test. Like that's a big, big thing with Enneagrams. Like don't test. And we need to pick up a book. We actually want to do a series on mm -hmm. Enneagram. Like a okay. three-part series. On so, the different personalities. So nice. maybe we can have some co-hosts on with that, you yeah. know? So yeah. the biggest book or the biggest resource for me in learning the Enneagram and figuring out my type was a book called The Road Back to You. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard of that. Book. I think the I author too. is Ian Morgan Crone, I think is his name. It sounds right. I think that's right. We'll um yeah, you can put a link. We'll put a link below. It's a really fascinating book. And that was the best way for me to figure out actually what my type was. Because as mm -hmm. you read through the description of the different types, um, it like felt like he was like revealing all of my deepest, mm -hmm. darkest fears and thoughts. And I was just like, oh, yeah, there's no way anyone else would know that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I think coming to understand and know yourself helps so much with trying to understand how to declutter because yes. you don't know what's really cluttering you if you don't know yourself to yes. begin with well that's kind of what we talked about um last week in our episode about mindfulness is once mm -hmm. you are aware of yourself then you can be aware of other people yeah. yes yeah 
What band was it that made those songs about the Enneagram? Sleeping at Last. Yeah. I love Sleeping at Last. Have you heard their Enneagram song? Oh my yes. gosh, yes. I've listened to the whole... You know they have so, a podcast, right? Yes. Yeah, I've listened to the whole... Oh my gosh, I love his stuff so yeah, much. Yeah, his stuff is amazing. I've listened to him for like years mm, and years. Since we've and been then, together, yeah. Yeah, oh. His whole life series is just like, oh my gosh, I love Sleeping at Last. So yeah. you're going to make me fanboy. <laughs> tag him tag him in this yeah. po- podcast at episode. sleeping last yeah <laughs> yeah yeah his enneagram podcast is really really yes, good yes very good uh so i want to close out with this there's a song by brandon heath actually called everything must go and it's actually kind of the very first touch into this world i ever had and uh it's literally the entire song is literally about like a moment in his life where he did exactly that. He piled everything up, had a huge yard sale and just got rid of so much and like wow. all the questions, but the course is uh, finally got it figured out what I can live with or without getting rid of what's crowding up my soul. What's the cost of living free, what I own and what owns me make a little room for love to grow. Everything must go. Mm-hmm. And I just think that kind of sums up. Yeah, definitely. That's really good. So. There's also a group of people called the minimalist um, that have a podcast called the minimalist. And they do something that's called a packing party to where they'll like literally pack up everything in their house as if they're going to move and just set it to the side and only pull out the things that they need. And then after like two months, they just take everything that's still in the boxes and get rid of it. That sounds terrifying. They, also didn't, awesome. they didn't need it. We needed like, that. <laughs> it sounds terrifying, but it's also really freeing. Yeah. And then there's also some like, there was the giving game or giveaway game or something like that. What's, what's the name of that? It's like... 30 items in 30 days or something like that to where you, every day you'll like find an item and give it away and get rid of it to try to help declutter your life. And you kind of did, that's what I was talking about. You kind of did something like that, but it was clothing specific. Mm-hmm. It was like something, there's a lot of them you can pull oh, yeah. from yeah, online. I was going to say, um, one of my friends read a book, I don't remember what it was called, but it was like um, walking through like minimalist, um, like active, different things you can do yeah. um, to minimize. And one of them was like, um, for like three months, just only like wear two different pairs of shoes, mm. like have this like certain amount of clothes that you can wear and that you, it forces you even to be creative with what you have and like seeing things differently. And so well, I think it's a big thing is forcing ourselves to see other perspectives because we're so stuck in our world yeah. and our ways mm-hmm. and doing something like that seems extreme. But then you realize, like, how much of what I have do I even use anyway? <laughs> Sarah, thank you for coming. Yes, thank you. Thank you for sharing your your heart and your insights. And thank you for being an inspiration because you really are an inspiration to uh, Elaine and I to try to do better. And thank you for bearing the brunt of the Christian community and their weakness. <laughs> um, Robert, thanks for coming on and being a part again. You're welcome. And I know it will be the last time that either of you are heard on the show. Thank you guys. We really appreciate you driving out here in the middle of nowhere and hanging out with us. Thanks so much for having us. This was a lot of fun. I just want to give one more big thank you to Sarah and Robert both for coming out and taking their time out of their day to come and talk about consumerism with us. Guys, anything we talked about, any resources, uh, we have some Amazon affiliate links to some books below. We have some resources for some other podcasts that were mentioned. All that is in the resources tab in the show notes. Also, if you want to keep this conversation going, of course, there is the Reckless Community. Uh, The link is below. Go click it. Ask to be a part. We will add you. We want to hear your opinions, your thoughts. 
Guys, there's a ton of resources and we have a weekly blog every single week on therecklesspursuit.com. There you can go and send us a voicemail, drop us an email, say hi, and that's the best way to find all things The Reckless Pursuit. And as always, be brave, be bold, and be reckless. We'll talk soon. Let's talk to him. I'm on the podcast. Hey, Dad, you're on a podcast right now. Oh, really? Hey, yeah. Greg. We're talking about consumerism. Consumerism? Yeah. Black Friday shopping. <laughs>